Welcome to the Biopractica Professional Podcast Series. Biopractica is an Australian-owned, practitioner-only brand focusing on nutritional and herbal products proven to play a role in preventative medicine. Biopractica is committed to supporting healthcare professionals in developing their knowledge and skills so they can confidently and effectively tackle the major health challenges facing their patients today. To support this commitment, the Learning Hub was established by Biopractica to offer practitioners a collection of educational resources so they can stay informed on the latest in health science research. Welcome everyone and thank you so much for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Roberta Barbiolini and I'm the Technical Manager here at Biopractica. And I'm very excited today to be talking to Dr. Melanie Henning. Now Dr. Helling, Henning is actually an integrative psychologist and she's based in Colorado in the USA. She has over 20 years experience in the healthcare industry having worked clinically in the fields of nutrition and psychology but also as a researcher in cardiology, oncology and infertility. Dr. Henning earned her bachelor's in biology from Pepperdine University in California, her master's in clinical nutrition from the Chicago School of Medicine, and her doctorate in sports performance psychology from the University of the Rockies. Now, currently, Dr. Henning actually works in the US with a company that specializes in the production of and research on phytomelatonin, and that's what we're going to be exploring today. So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Henning. We really appreciate your time today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you so much for having me. So maybe to start our discussion on phytomelatonin, could you tell us what it is exactly? Absolutely. So, so to speak about phytomelatonin, I'll back up a little bit um, and, and talk about melatonin. Um, melatonin is, is widely known now, but it's actually a pretty newly discovered molecule. It was first discovered in the 1950s, in 1958, by Dr. Aaron Lerner. And melatonin was isolated by, uh, from the pineal gland. And it's named melatonin because it's, it's actually derived from serotonin, so it's related. But um, a fun fact, melatonin can actually um, uh, act to lighten the skin pigment. So melatonin for mela, mela or melanos, um, like melanin, is, is where the name was derived. And I mention this just because um, it is such a newer molecule and hormone that was discovered and there's so much that we still have yet to know. Um, but again, melatonin, it's a hormone that's naturally produced in the pineal gland or pineal gland, however you um, want to pronounce it. And it's an essential hormone that helps to regulate our human sleep-wake cycle. So it's released when the retina or the back of our eye detects darkness prior to sleeping. sleeping. So it's not regulated by day and night so much as it's regulated by, that, by the light and dark. And like many things, melatonin decreases as we age. Um, so we're dealing with that as well. And a lot of times, um, you know, as we get older, um, elderly people especially are going to have more issues with that, um, with that sleep-wake cycle and those natural circadian rhythms. So as our eyes detect, detect um, darkness, as I mentioned, the retina registers the darkness and um, in our bloodstream, our natural um, melatonin production is released into the bloodstream at that point. Um, on average, the pineal gland produces about 0.1 milligrams to 0.8 milligrams of melatonin per day. And again, I, I mention this just because there's so much um, fascinating research that's coming out with melatonin because it is relatively a, a newer um, hormone, newer molecule that we've discovered. So phytomelatonin, um, typically, melatonin that's on the market to supplement with to help um, individuals with the sleep-wake cycle 
is going to be sourced either from a synthetic um, source, um, which can be produced in a laboratory or um, even with certain petroleum oils, or it's sourced from um, animal glandular extracts. So animals that are near their end of life, um, they're slaughtered. And um, typically when, when the melatonin comes from these sources, it's from, um, from the pineal gland of a cow or a pig um, and has some of that pineal gland in that extract. Phytomelatonin is melatonin that's sourced from 100% of, of plants. So it's a natural source from, from a plant only um, material. That's great. And can I ask, Melanie, what plants actually contain melatonin in this form? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, phytomelatonin, melatonin is actually found in a lot of different plants and foods. Um, this particular source is, is from alfalfa, rice, and chlorella. It's a combination of those. Um, but you can find melatonin in corn, pistachios, wheat, barley, um, even chocolate. <laughs> um, so we know that chocolate is, is a great therapeutic aid, right? Um, so there are natural melatonin levels in, in chocolate. Um, but this, this source specifically of phytomelatonin, to, um, to get it to that therapeutic level, it's the proprietary blend of alfalfa, rice, and chlorella. That's great. And I mean, I absolutely agree. Chocolate is a superfood. And maybe one of the reasons <laughs> it's such a superfood is, is the melatonin content. But I'm curious. So if you can find melatonin in plant-based foods, can I actually get a therapeutic dose from my diet? Like how many pistachios would I have to eat to get a therapeutic dose of phytomelatonin, for example? Yeah, it's a great question. So there was, there was one study um, that, was, that was written on the, the power of the pistachio. And, um, and um, you could readily look that up. Um, it's important to point out that the study that, that is referred to um, was done in Iran. Um, and we've never been able to replicate it since by anyone in the, in the world, and um, including our own director of R&D, Dr. Henry Meissner. He's tried many, many times to try to replicate that because it's just a fascinating, fascinating study. Um, and while pistachios are known to contain that naturally occurring melatonin, um, you'd have to consume about 1,300 pistachios to get 0.3 milligrams of melatonin, or 13,000 pistachios to get 3 milligrams of melatonin. Um, which maybe some individuals would be okay with consuming that amount of pistachio, but I would, I would um, guess that it's going to cause some gut um, or bowel intolerance um, with that amount of fiber in your diet. So it's quite high um, to the equivalent of what we have in the phytomelatonin therapeutic level. Yeah, right. I mean, I, I don't think I could comfortably eat over a thousand <laughs> pistachios a day, but it is interesting <laughs> to find out that plants contain melatonin. Can I ask? Yes, yes. Why do plants actually make melatonin? What's the benefit to the plant? Oh, I love it. It's a great question, Roberta. So melatonin in plants, it's, it's been recently studied um, in, the, you know, in the botany field. Um, but melatonin for plants, it actually serves as a protective mechanism um, from internal and environmental oxidative stressors. So melatonin is actually a very powerful antioxidant. It's, it's known for sleep, but it's less known for its antioxidant abilities. And for plants, melatonin actually helps to mitigate UV radiation, chemical pollution, drought, and extreme temperatures. So as we, um, as we correlate this to the human need, just as it is for humans, melatonin is a multi-regulatory molecule um, that is correlated with the plant's ability to survive, which I think is just, is just quite fascinating in um, how it affects the different species. 
Yeah, I mean, that is a fascinating area in general. Like, you know, I, I love a lot of the research that's coming out showing that a lot of the biologically active molecules that we find in medicinal plants serve not only a, a hormetic or a therapeutic function in the plant, but actually in us as well. You know, I've read research sort of showing how curcumin from turmeric has this sort of function that, you know, say sulforaphanes from brassica vegetables serve the same purpose. And it maybe seems like melatonin or phytomelatonin is, is similar. It, it absolutely is. I think it's, you know, when we look to nature and, and really how nature was designed um, and how, can, how that can translate to our own um, health benefit, it's, it's, we really can find, um, find most of what we need in, in, you know, natural form, which is great. So, I mean, you mentioned the fact that melatonin implants acts as an antioxidant. So I'm curious, does it have this same sort of function in the human body? Like is phytomelatonin actually physiologically active in the human body? Is it the same as our endogenous melatonin? So it's chemically the, the same structure as our endogenous melatonin, absolutely. And we're finding um, that, that it it can be a powerful antioxidant um, in vitro studies that we've that we are doing um, are speaking to that. There have been some studies that are outside of um, our internal um, research and um, showing that it's it helps with um, not only as a powerful antioxidant, but can help with decreasing cellular oxidation um, and cellular damage. And that it can act as an immune modulator, perhaps, um, with inhibiting prolonged periods of inflammation. So that chronic state of inflammation, um, specifically acting on COX-2 and NLRP um, inflammasomes, excuse me. So um, there's a lot of really um, interesting and exciting research that is preliminary. So I do need to um, you know, mention that as the caveat, it is definitely preliminary, but we're finding, um, again, it's a newer molecule in the 1950s. We're still kind of like in this um, period of time where we're just, just scratching the surface as to what melatonin can help with, um, with our, you know, inflammatory processes and our, in our immune health and, and, um, and on and on. So, yes. That is actually quite interesting because as you say, most people, you know, certainly for myself, when I think melatonin, I think sleep. But now that you talk about the fact that it has these antioxidant properties, anti-inflammatory properties, you know, immune modulating properties, it, it does make me wonder how much of that correlation that we see between sleep and good health, you know, how much of that relationship is also potentially related just to the effects of melatonin in the body. Yes, absolutely. I mean, what we know is that we have melatonin receptors throughout our whole body. Um, in our brain, the retina of the eye, as we mentioned, the colon, the heart, liver, gallbladder, um, in our skin, in our bones. So um, again, the extent of its effects are, are still somewhat largely unknown, but what we're understanding is it's, um, you know, it's a tiny but powerful um, hormone mm -hmm. um, that, that is, you know, helping with, with a lot of um, regulatory processes. So it's, I, I'm, I just am fascinated by the, by the research that's coming out more and more with this. So, I mean, given, as you say, obviously the research is still evolving on understanding exactly what melatonin does in the body, but based on what we do know, what clinical applications does phytomelatonin have? Like what could I prescribe it for, for example, in my clinic? Yeah. So it's, it's first, first um, it's, it's important to understand melatonin and how it's typically been um, recommended or prescribed, you know, as, as an additional supplement. Um, in general, um, most companies and melatonin um, dose the, the melatonin way too high, in excess of three milligrams or more a day. Um, and truly what we know is that this dose is not to be used for prolonged periods of time. Um, I mention this because it's, it's, um, 
it's highly, it's, it's highly um, misunderstood, I think, in the industry from nutritionists to, um, to medical doctors. And so when you dose melatonin in excess of, you know, three milligrams or more a day, um, you can, it doesn't, it's not a dependency like an addiction, but it can dull our melatonin receptors. And as I mentioned, we have receptors throughout our whole body um, and it can create a dependence. And when that happens, you can almost have this paradoxical effect that makes it harder to fall asleep. Um, patients that um, sleep you know, pretty well for three to four hours and then they wake up not being able to go back to sleep. Um, you can have nightmares or night terrors with it. And so um, those, are, those are some of those negative side effects because it's just been dosed too high for too long. Um, certainly melatonin is, is, um, is prescribed and recommended to, um, to augment sleep and to help with um, those circadian rhythms. But truly, if you mimic what the body produces, which is between 0.1 milligrams to 0.8 milligrams, not, not 3.0 milligrams, but 0.1 to 0.8, um, you, um, you get into a, a natural level of what the body would naturally produce anyway. And so, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of applications beyond sleep. Um, and uh, helping with those circadian rhythms, including um, applications for shift workers that are um, maybe up all night working in the um, in healthcare, for instance. Um, yeah. <laughs> as we as we appreciate those those um, individuals right now more than ever, probably, um, or individuals with jet lag. Um, there's, it's also been, um, recommended for individuals that have had a concussion. So like post-concussive type of, type of, um, incidents. And those are again, acute conditions where you can dose it higher. Um, but in general, if you're wanting to get just the great properties with including those antioxidant properties and healthy, healthy sleep patterns, healthy cellular function, um, healthy mitochondrial health, you're going to want to stay in that 0.3 milligram range. So again, I know that wasn't the exact question, but I mentioned that just because it's so widely understood and uh, misunderstood in our industry and we think more is better. And um, it's not the case with melatonin. Yeah, and I think, you know, your explanation of why those really high doses of, say, synthetic melatonin can cause that paradoxical uh, issue with sleep and, and how it can actually dampen, you know, receptor site sensitivity, that actually makes perfect sense because I've had patients who will self-prescribe melatonin because they've read about it. You know, Dr. Google has been consulted and he recommended melatonin. And then, I write, you know, and then they come to me and they say, oh, but I tried melatonin and it actually made my insomnia worse. And, you know, I think that explanation really helps clarify why that can be and why as you say a more physiological dose of mm -hmm. melatonin can be better indicated so yes. if i'm going to use phytomelatonin for sleep specifically how is it best prescribed like how is it best utilized oh, that's a great question so keeping in mind that less is less is better um, we recommend that starting with a lower dose so we have um, we do have the phytomelatonin in a three milligram dosage for those kind of acute conditions that I spoke about, jet lag and shift workers and um, just resetting those, those circadian rhythms, you know, again, more acute um, type of conditions where it's one to two weeks um, maximum. But we also have the dose of 0.3 milligrams. And what we recommend is you start with a lower dose and then gradually go up if needed. So for healthy sleep patterns to... Um, uh, you know, someone that is wanting to help with cellular function, um, 
helping with those um, potential inflammatory pathways um, and that healthy response there, or the antioxidant capacities, um, again, with the mitochondrial health, which mitochondria is, you know, the powerhouse of our cells. And so we need it throughout our body. Um, we would suggest, rec you know, starting at 0.3 milligrams and then generally working up to 0.9 at the most. It's better to start low and go up higher if you're not seeing that, um, you know, that response in, in sleep or deeper sleep or quality of sleep, which we can measure now with, um, you know, different devices or mm. iWatch, if you will. Um, and it, as to the, the opposite of starting high and then having to wean back down, if that makes sense. So in general, 0.3 milligrams to 0.6 milligrams, um, and maybe, you know, occasionally 0.9 milligrams to somebody that, you know, that is really having some, some issues with, um, you know, sleep cadence and things of that nature. But that's really the realm that you that you want to stay. 0.3 milligrams, again, is is closest to our physiological dose, um, is what the human mm. body pr uh, pr produces. That's great. And can I ask, like, does it take, I don't know, an hour, half an hour to actually kick in? Like, how soon before I go to bed should I be taking the fight? Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It fits. Um, so one, again, just to remind everyone that melatonin, it reacts when it's um, when our eyes detect darkness, so it's important one that um, we are in a dark environment. So no TV, no cell phones. Um, if the if there's a full moon outside and we have our drapes open, making sure that we're not getting any sort of light from that, that they're closed. Um, typically, it it will start releasing in the body within 20 to 30 minutes. So when you um, you know with just sleep hygiene and being mindful of that, taking it 20 to 30 minutes before you go to bed and making sure, again, that you're in a dark environment. Um, the phytomelatonin, it's in a natural plant matrix, um, which has some, you know, good fibers and prebiotics that are just an added benefit in there. But that allows it to really release slowly. So you're not getting this big, um, big boost in the serum levels right away. It is kind of a slower, a slower release. Um, but the capsule itself will be dissolved within 20 to 30 minutes. And um, that's what we recommend prior to going to bed. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I mean, you know, I have patients sometimes who they can get to sleep okay, but they might be waking up at two or three or four in the morning and can't get back to sleep. Is it something that, you know, I could say to them, keep it on your bedside table. And if you do wake up in the middle of the night, you can take it like throughout the night. Is that, can we do that as well? Yeah, I think that that's, that that's a, um, that would be an interesting protocol for sure. Um, with, you know, just so that, that they're getting um, sleep that's not disturbed, they might just want to up it to, you know, to two mm. um, for the next night. And then, you know, keep a sleep journal, make sure that, um, that they're documenting um, what they've done throughout the day, if they've exercised late, or if they've had any sort of alcohol or sugar or um, other things that could be um, contributing maybe to the to the um, to the lack of quality sleep, but um, you can you could do that. You could definitely take it um, in the middle of the night. The only thing is, is if it's if it's too late, um, you might be a, a bit groggy um, mm. and have a have a hangover feeling in the morning. Um, with these lower levels, that's not often found, but it can happen. So if you're taking it at four in the morning, hoping to go back to sleep for a couple of hours, just know that you're not, <laughs> you may um, not wake up as sharp as, as you would want. So I would suggest instead of doing that in the middle of the night that you just, um, you know, gradually up the dose until mm. you're getting a full, you know, six to eight hours. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. Like you said, if that patient on one dose isn't sufficiently rested throughout the night, then maybe just doubling the dose. And as you say, I think sleep hygiene is such an important component as well. Like, you know, we live in this 24-hour-a-day society and, and people are so often exposed to too much light whether and their devices before they go to bed. So I think, yeah, all of that sort of stuff has to be part of the, the sleep counselling, I think, as well. Absolutely. And especially, especially now, I just, there's so much negativity, um, you know, whether it's on television or just in printed news or whatever. And so being able to, um, to filter that out and maybe not, you know, maybe not uh, participating in those types of, of um, you know, things or activities before bed, it really can help, but it, but you do have to address, you know, kind of all of those external um, variables as well, for sure. And I guess, I mean, for me, what this brings up is the fact that I am seeing a lot of patients at the moment who, because of stress, are seeing almost a disturbance in their circadian rhythms. You know, instead of, say, a cortisol peak in the morning, their cortisol peak sometimes is happening at 8, 9 o'clock at night. So instead of going to sleep, they're up vacuuming at 10 o'clock at night. And I'm just wondering, like, could you actually use phytomelatonin to help to sort of reset that circadian rhythm a little bit? Yes, yes. So we, we know that, um, you know, and again, in acute types of conditions, and that's exactly what I, um, what I mean by that is to, uh, to realign the circadian rhythms in, in cases where, um, you know, it's environmental stress um, that, that's been experiencing or we're just, you know, got into a habit gradually over time and we're up later and later and, um, you know, getting, um, you know, more stimulated by TV or whatever it might be. Again, we need to take that into consideration. But um, the higher dose of the phytomelatonin, so the three milligram dosage, um, is, is intended, again, for short-term use, but for exactly that, to realign and reset those circadian rhythms. Um, we know that, that um, you know, just as an example, our melatonin production, we know that it's actually, you know, it's, it's within a lot of our systems. It's, um, melatonin is, is naturally present in breast milk, for example. Um, and in studies, we've, we've seen that breast milk throughout the day, um, there's, there's different levels of melatonin throughout the day. So um, in morning breast milk, for example, melatonin is barely present. Um, but in the evening, um, around the time, you know, where um, where mothers are nursing, you know, around midnight or before, uh, melatonin levels are at their highest. And so if you take that and correlate that to just, you know, our, our life now, um, melatonin production is going to vary throughout the day. And so sometimes we need some, what of that, that shift or, or um, you know, a larger dose for the acute situation just to get us reset um, mm -hmm. into, that, into that good good rhythm. Um, for that type of approach, um, you can go to six milligrams, three to six milligrams within that. Again, you would want to do that for a very short duration. So not going over one to two weeks. Um, and I recommend just with, um, with clients and, and patients to, um, you know, go four days on one day off or, you know, four days on and then wean off a little bit, because again, the more you use it, the more you're going to, um, you're going to dampen those receptors and, um, and become somewhat dependent on it to go to sleep at all. So we don't want that to happen. Yeah, absolutely. I think that makes perfect sense to use it acutely at those higher doses, just to kind of reset the, 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 the circadian rhythm. And I'm wondering then, like, would jet lag be similar? Like if, you know, if I've changed time zones and I want to reset my, you know, circadian pattern to suit the time zone I'm now in, can I use it the same sort of way? 
Yes, absolutely. So if you're going to a, a new time zone, especially if, um, if I was coming to see you, <laughs> for example. Yes. Um, yeah, so when you would want to take it um, where you adjust to the new time zone that you'll be on. So if, I, um, if I'm taking off that um, in the morning hours and it's evening um, in, in Australia, then I would try to adjust to that. Um, and in a dark environment on the plane, um, if you will, I would take a, a dose of three to six milligrams to adjust. Hopefully then I could get some sleep and then it would help me to, um, to recover. And you can do that for three days into the new time zone. Um, so absolutely it's for jet lag and, um, really preventing jet lag. It's, it's a, it's an incredible thing <laughs> when you've experienced jet lag without any sort of help with melatonin, it's, um, it's just awful. So, um, this is, that's, that's a great protocol again, just for a short duration, um, but helping your body to, to adjust to the new um to the new time yeah and i think you know the distinction that you make between higher doses for short-term use you know your three to seven days let's say and then your, your more physiological doses that 0.3 mm -hmm. milligrams if you're going to mm -hmm. use it long term correct i mean one thing that i've seen a fair bit clinically is patients that as they get older have more and more trouble sleeping you know either more trouble getting to sleep or staying asleep and I'm wondering, you know, could phytomelatonin help these more elderly patients whose sleep patterns are becoming really chronically disturbed? Yes. And in fact, um, it's <clears throat> there's some recent research that is, um, that is supporting evidence with um, nocturia or, or gentlemen that um, have to get up, you know, several, several times during the evening to, um, you know, to use the restroom. And it's just, it's very disruptive in their sleep. Mm. Melatonin is, um, is helping that um, quite a bit. And I, I don't know that this has been directly studied, but if there's um, some antioxidant and anti-inflammatory properties to it, you know, helping with, um, with maybe that prostate health, that would be a great, a great study to, to look at. Um, but also just in, in older individuals in our elderly population, again, we, we lose our melatonin production or it decreases substantially as we age. And so um, supplementing with a physiological dose of 0.3 milligrams or um, in some individuals, maybe going up to 0.9 milligrams would be warranted, but it absolutely can help to, to restore that, um, that deeper sleep um, that's that makes us feel rested um, and is, is less disruptive. So absolutely. It's, it's, um, in a, you know, every age range um, it's being studied, but especially in elderly people where our natural production is just, is just um, reduced over time. And I mean, I imagine as well, like we were talking earlier about the fact that melatonin actually has these antioxidant, anti-inflammatory, you know, immune modulating benefits. I mean, those are all, benefits that I would want for my older patients anyway. So I can see multiple yeah. benefits beyond just the sleep, you know, benefit. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And we, you know, we know that proper sleep, um, you know, in itself, just sleep, it's when the brain repairs and when, um, you know, when those plaque um, types of, uh, you know, plaque eating proteins, you know, come mm. out um, <laughs> to help us with our neurological health. And so sleep in general, it's, it's multifaceted for sure. And melatonin is obviously a um, you know, a part of that equation. Um, but yes, I think there's just, you know, there's so many great properties and, um, you know, as the research comes out and we learn more about the, the hormone, I think it's going to point to, you know, why it's so essential for us to, um, to produce it in our bodies or to supplement with it. Absolutely. And I, I mean, it does make me think though, like, as I mentioned before, I have a lot of patients who have consulted with, let's call them Dr. Google and have self-prescribed like quite high doses of synthetic melatonin for sleep yeah. issues. 
And I'm wondering, Melanie, you know, if I had a patient who had been taking, you know, 10, 5 or 10 milligrams of melatonin consistently, how could I use the phytomelatonin to maybe wean them off those, those really high doses? Yeah, so you definitely want somebody that's been um, taking larger doses, you know, over three milligrams or, or even upwards of three milligrams for a long time. Again, those receptors are going to be doled um, in the body. And so you want to back them off very slowly and under a physician's um, supervision um, because it's, it, it's, a, it's a long process. Um, the body can adapt quickly and, and to wean off it, it can be a little bit longer. So um, over the course of one to three weeks, depending on what their upper level was, you want to start with upper level and then gradually daily, um, you know, decrease it from there. So if they were taking, um, I'll just say like a nine milligram dose, which is super, super, you know, it's, it's quite high. Yeah. Um, you would start with then um, you can use the phytomelatonin. Um, maybe you go to, um, you know, try to do an eight and a half, and then you go to eight. And so the great thing about the phytomelatonin where it's available in the 0.3 milligrams as well is you can, um, they're tiny, tiny little capsules and you can, you can augment, um, you know, with the, with the, um, you know, synthetic melatonin or whatever they're using mm. um, from a different source. So it is um, easier to do it that way because otherwise, you know, you're breaking apart tablets or something and that can be kind of, um, kind of difficult to do, but just very slowly over the period of one to three weeks, depending on how long they've been on it um, and encouraging that supervision with the physician, making sure that um, any sort of, you know, negative reactions are being monitored for, for sure. And I guess, you know, whilst we're talking about um, safety, I'm, I'm curious as well, Melanie, about, any contraindications to do with phytomelatonin? Like, is it safe in children? Is it safe in pregnancy? Is it safe in breastfeeding? Yeah, that's a great question. So in, in general, melatonin is, is, a, is a pretty safe, um, pretty safe supplement. However, we, we don't ever recommend um, for the cases of, you know, the general cases of things, we don't recommend that children, um, be supplemented with a hormone, um, nor are we going to test pregnant women or breastfeeding mothers. Um, we know that, that phytomelatonin, um, like synthetic melatonin, it is both water-soluble and fat-soluble. So it crosses the blood-brain barrier very quickly. It gets into all of the, um, the um, ready tissues very quickly. It um, obviously goes into breast milk, as I mentioned before. And so because of that, in general, we, we would say no. Um, but if a physician, we do have physicians that are using it on in specific cases um, where it is safe and it is being monitored. Um, I mentioned with post-concussion um, types of protocols, and you'll see in studies that, um, that children, um, recent study that just came out in 2020, uh, children that were ages 8 to 18, I believe that there were 64 um, children in total that had had a concussion, and they put them on um, 3 milligrams of melatonin, 10 milligrams of melatonin, or a placebo. And those that were dosed with, um, with melatonin, either 3 or 10 milligrams, had better cognition, had better recovery, less headaches. Um, so there are some isolated cases um, like concussion where it might be warranted. Um, in general, with pregnant mothers or um, nursing mothers, melatonin, again, safety is kind of a side, but it's maybe what it's the, down, the downstream effects that it could have. 
If you're co-sleeping with your child, um, melatonin may give you that deep, deep sleep that you don't, you know, you don't um, have that natural um, awake cycle that, that can detect when the baby is crying or is, is needing you. That's a problem. So we, we wouldn't recommend it for that. It can also, um, it, it, has, it has been studied to, to act on prolactin levels. So it can actually reduce the milk supply, um, which is what would be um, contraindicated for, for nursing moms. So in general, again, um, not warranted for pregnancy or nursing, just because your body's already producing um, its supply on its own. We don't want to mess up with that cycle. Um, but for children, in some, some cases, when it's, when it's warranted, um, by the physician for post-concussion. It has been shown to, um, to have beneficial effects. Also, some studies in children with um, idiopathic scoliosis, and that's somewhat still unknown, but um, some studies have shown that children with idiopathic scoliosis actually have lower melatonin in general. And so does supplementing the melatonin actually help um, with that curvature of the spine? And that's still something to be, um, to be discovered. But um, in some cases, it is used in kids like for specific uses, I guess is my point, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, a lot of the points that you've raised there around use during breastfeeding, you know, it may affect milk production, you know, I mean, that, that's a really great overview of the safety. Thank you for that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and one more thing, just on the safety, um, you know, any sort of um, use of a pharmaceutical, um, you know, sedative that would induce CNS depression, you know, you don't want to combine that with, with a melatonin and also with, um, you know, doses of, of herbal or supplements such as like 5-HTP or L-theanine, mm. St. John's wort. Again, if it's warranted by the doctor and monitored by the doctor, those are specific cases. But in general, you don't want an individual taking, um, you know, doubling up on, on those uh, sedative types of, um, types of supplements or something that's going to actually depress the CMS. Yeah, I mean, I think for me, it really highlights the benefits of patients actually seeking advice from a qualified nutritionist or naturopath or healthcare professional who can actually yes. guide them through, you know, the right combination of, of remedies or formulas to take and also can coach them through some of those sleep hygiene issues. Because in my experience, you know, sometimes patients who doubled up on taking a few different things because they're still not sleeping, there's often something else going on that needs to mm -hmm. be addressed. No, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's not addressing the root of the problem. It's just getting to the symptoms. And that's, yeah. you know, that's when you have to take a different look. So yeah, I agreed. And I have to say, I mean, there's fascinating research there that you're, you're talking about, you know, the link between melatonin potentially and scoliosis, the link between, you know, concussion and, and prescribing of phytomelatonin in those settings. It really makes me think of, you know, if I go back sort of 10, 20 years ago, the early, early days of vitamin D research, and we're yes. finding out all these amazing things about what vitamin D that is really a hormone, you know, what it does. And, I, and I'm wondering if in another 10 years time, we'll be sitting here talking about melatonin in the same way. Oh, I think so. I think, again, we're, we're somewhat just on the precipice of, of understanding its full impact. And, um, but I, I agree. I think that there's, there's so, many, um, so many things that are not, not yet discovered for this, for this um, unique <laughs> hormone molecule, much like vitamin D. You're right. And um, which, which, ironically, they, they do have a lot of synergy together. Mm. So um, with bone health and um, osteoporosis, osteopenia, like that's, you know, um, it's an interesting, interesting segment as well. So I digress, but I think that, um, yes, you're absolutely right. I think that we are just on the, on the verge of discovering more, um, on how melatonin can help us 
I have to say, Melanie, that has been an absolutely fascinating journey through the world of melatonin, sleep, phytomelatonin. And I have to really thank you for your time and for your generosity and sharing all this incredible information with us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. And I, again, so appreciate the invitation and um, hopefully it was helpful. But yes, melatonin just is a fantastic, um, fantastic ingredient, powerful little, little molecule. So thank you so much for, for your time and I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. And I just wanted to also say thank you to all of those of you who tuned in. We also hope that you found our discussion today as interesting and and useful as I did. To continue the conversation or find out more about our products and educational resources, please head to biopractica.com.au. Biopractica, empowering healthcare professionals.